I'm David S. Dawson from the Intellectual Podcast, a show that spotlights creatives from all walks of life, part of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other incredibly geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. Welcome to an all-new Better Podcasting live chat. I am Stargate Pioneer's co-host, Stephen John Drew, and with me, of course, is Stargate Pioneer. Call me SP, and then you don't have to worry about your little flub right there. We have our Better Podcasting live chat. We do it every other week. It's us on Filtered Raw, and sometimes it's difficult to listen to Stephen, but that's like every week anyway. So anyway, this is the Better Podcasting live chat where we talk just off the cuff about our week in podcasting. So Stephen, I mentioned something a couple weeks ago on this show, and then I reiterated it on the main show last week about my Sony MDR 7506 studio monitoring headphones. The ear cups had disintegrated on it, and I got these Wicked cushions, wicked cool cushions to replace these. Yes, these, which you uh, have termed to be the same as a 10-year-old faux leather chair. Yeah, which is, I stand by that description. Yeah, that's uh, really tasty right there. Anyway, I just wanted to show for (laughs) our... Never mind. I didn't comment about what it would smell like, okay? (laughs) Well, I mean, it conjures up some imagery, right? So I just wanted to show our viewers what the new Wicked Cushions look like on the MDR 7506. So if you're on a video side of things, you're seeing these. I did use these twice. They do have a slightly different tone to them because they're just, I don't know if it's the distance to the ear. Maybe it's the isolation is a little bit different. I'm not exactly sure why it's a little bit different. I can't quantify the difference yet, but it doesn't leave the flakes on my face. So I'm good with it. So it's the flakeless edition. At least for now, I'm sure in like another three to five years, it'll flake out too, but it was a $20 fix and they work just fine. So that's all I wanted to say is they are on now and I will report back, I guess, after I use them a little bit more. When are you going to use them? Well, I use them as secondary monitoring from my studio and these that I'm wearing right now monitor straight from the Zoom H6. So they don't monitor from the Mackie uh, Pro FX 16 V2. Uh, so, so I have I have these secondary ones that monitor from the Mackie mixer itself for editing and uh, stuff or yeah for editing or for when when i don't have the zoom on because the zoom doesn't have to be on all the time and the zoom is not stereo either unless i input it into two different things and pan it left and right into stereo mode so if i want to listen to something stereo i gotta listen from the mackie okay fair enough i gotcha and yeah you don't want to go have to unplug that and plug that in all the time yeah that sucks well, that's cool. Uh, I'm sorry, though, to hear that you use the crappier headphones on your editing um, because uh, I like the Shures better. Not that I've ever used them, but I like to take shots against the uh, Sony's when I can. Well, I do use these from time when my Zoom is on. I do use them for editing. But really what I use for editing are my studio monitoring speakers, which we talked about before that I just refreshed the JBLs, the oh, five yeah. inch JBLs monitors. That's what I use for editing. OK, fair enough. 
All right. Well, we're talking about your equipment already. So let's continue talking about your equipment. And you mm. have a bit of an update about your your whole problem that you had recently. This was a situation where he's described, if you forget what it was, basically he was having weird distortions come into his recording on occasion, but it was more than his recording. It was everything. He heard it. He heard it. Um, we heard it like if he was connected through through OBS Ninja. Everybody basically heard these weird distortions. And you laid out a plan of how you're going to try to eliminate the problem, go through and diagnose. And you have maybe found what it was. Well, yeah. So I said, I believe it was two weeks ago. I said I moved my input from channel two to channel three. So it's, my microphone is going into a DBX 286X. And it's going out of that DBX into originally channel two on the Mackie Pro FX 16 V2. And then it goes out USB into the computer. And that's how you are hearing me right now live. But I do have a auxiliary send one that goes into my Zoom H6 that I'm able to hear myself in. And I also have headphones out uh, through a splitter going into another channel. That's how I'm able to hear you as I'm monitoring my Zoom H6. Well, I had some audio distortions going on. So the first thing that I did, because it was easier, was, well, I did make sure that the cable was actually plugged in. And then after I did that and it was still messing around, I took the cable and I took it out of channel two and I put it in channel three and the audio distortion is gone. It was intermittent. It wasn't all the time. It wasn't a low hum or anything. It was just a distortion. It just like a squeak or squawk came up from time to time. So that is no longer there. I haven't noticed it in my recording. Steven, you haven't said anything in two weeks. So that to me means that channel two on my Mackie Pro FX 16 V2 is bad, which means I'm now the proud owner of a Mackie Pro FX 15 V2. Right. Yes, that makes sense because one of the channels is bad and you're assuming it's only one channel. You don't know. It could be more. So it could be a 14 V2. It, it could be, but I haven't noticed anything on any of the other channels, which includes my soundboard and anything else that I'm playing through my speakers. I've used everything like I have my Amazon A word that's plugged in through one of the channels. I have my uh, my I put my iPod in another channel. So I have all these channels that are being used. And I haven't noticed anything wrong with any of the other channels. The one channel that I haven't tried is channel one, which is actually the third in-studio microphone that wasn't hooked up to a DBX. It is DBX less. So if I have a third person that is cramped in this little closet, it would have to be through a dynamic microphone because it doesn't have any sort of, I, you know what? That would be a great use of an MD 46. I would probably use the Rode Procaster on one, I would use my Electro Voice RE320 on my channel, and then I would use the Sennheiser MD46 or one of them that I have on the other channel. And that's probably what my in-studio setup would be, but I've never had that opportunity, nor I do, do I think I want one. It would get really hot in here. It's small. You know what you should just do? Just uh, use only lav mics into an iRig into your brand new phone that you have. And then uh, you, you got nothing, no hardware at all. I do want one of those new iRig, um, what is it, iRig duos or, or something like that. I do want one because then I could use an iPad or my new iPhone Pro FX Pro Pro FX Pro Max <laughs> iPhone 12 Pro Max to do some podcasting, which 
Uh, do you want to go ahead and talk about that right now, too? Yeah, that was my, my way to segue you, into you, it. You were just segueing <laughs> in. So I did get a iPhone 12 Pro Max. I ordered it when it was first available to order on November 6, 2020. It came in the mail on November 13th, 2020. We actually recorded a whole segment about my setup of it last night on the gonnageek.com show. I won't go into that. So that is episode 354, I believe, and will be out later on this week. So a couple days after we're recording this. If you're listening to this in the future, it's already out. So I have this, it's great. And for podcasting, I have downloaded the Overcast app and well, I transferred it from my other phone, but the problem was none of the data transferred. So it had to re-download the 80 gigabytes worth of podcast data that's on there that I just have that I haven't listened to or stuff that I want to keep or something like that, which took all of Saturday to download. I'll spare everybody with the, the story, but that actually works now. The Overcast app works great. I've, I've used it already. Um, that's it. I haven't used it for any other podcasting whatsoever. I use the camera a little bit, been playing around with that a little bit in video and in the still pictures, but I, I have not done anything with podcasting. As soon as I do, I'll let everybody know. I, I did port all my podcasting apps over. So I have stuff like Backpack Studio over there. I have Twisted Wave. I have all the iOS apps that I previously had in my other iPhone on there. I just haven't had a chance to use them. So basically that's it. Oh, by the way, Stephen, before we go any further, I want to comment to Betsy who posted in our chat. She said, hi, glad to be here. Not just a lurker. I love your podcast and trying to get up the courage to start one. I've only been thinking about it for 18 months now. Uh, honestly, Betsy, if you go back and listen to my story of how I got into podcasting, it took me about three or four years to get going podcasting. So 18 months, that's pretty good. And uh, I will just, I won't name names, but I'll say in our chat room, we have a bunch of other people, including someone else who has been uh, thinking about starting their podcast for a while now. We'll go ahead and not name names, but if uh, you would like to go ahead and respond in the chat, uh, you can go ahead and give that reassurance, um, Mr. Somebody Pennington. Uh, you can go ahead and put that in there. <laughs> Calling him out. Yeah, I did mention, I believe, two weeks ago that I was excited to hear his episode one. So, Johnny, what's the URL to that? Just link it in the <laughs> chat and, and we'll send it out to everybody else. Be grateful to listen to that. No, seriously, it's okay if you delay your podcast. Obviously, you want to make sure that you launch launch on time or or launch eventually, but you got to get it right, but you also got to make sure you don't just drag your heels on and on and on and on and, and come up with excuses where you're just stopping yourself, but uh I think that it is okay. You know, if you're not comfortable, you're not comfortable. It can be a lot of work. We've talked about that and Sometimes you have excellent ambitions of starting something and then life changes and it and you no longer can. And that's OK. As a hobby podcaster, you got to be having fun. That's number one priority. And Absolutely. By the way, in the chat, Johnny Pennington does say, I know, I know he knew where I was going with that. I kind of closed the off really quick with the iPhone uh, 12 update. But basically, I want to know from our audience and our live chat audience, if you guys want to chime in, do you guys use your phone for anything directly for your podcast? Do you record on to it? Do you edit? Do you, you, what do you use your phone for, for podcasting? Just let me know. I, I would love to know that. And I will test out whatever that is on my iPhone 12. If I, if it fits into my workflow, I'll try, try that. And for our audience that's listening afterwards, please let us know, you know, head, hit us up on Twitter at better pod or come into our discord at betterpodcasting.com slash discord and let us know 
what you use your phone for for podcasting and that is a great data set because steven i don't think you use your phone for podcasting at all no only for weird random scenarios like if i need to when we're streaming if i need to preview that the stream's going i'll dig out my phone if i'm away i'll use it then but like i i hardly do anything with my podcast on my phone so no not me uh, you do bring up, though, something that I think nicely fits in here. Uh, you mentioned that you were you use Overcast to listen to your podcast. And do. you don't use the Apple Podcasts app, do you? No, I don't. I do check our podcast there from time to time, predominantly, believe it or not, to see if somebody's left a, a review on Apple Podcasts, because that is legitimately Apple Podcasts. It's still iTunes on my computer, but it's Apple Podcasts on my phone. That's about the only reason that I... I pop into the podcast app. Well, this is kind of on the heels too of last week on the Better Podcasting main show. I commented about how whether or not people want to admit that Spotify is a big power player now in podcasting. And I think Apple might be feeling some of this pressure. You know, loyal Apple users like you, I call you loyal Apple user because you've used an iPhone for a long time and have tried the Apple podcast app. And anyways... Yeah. Not everybody wants to use the Apple Podcast, and some people uh, like Spotify are coming into their territory that Apple used to have. Well, I just read that apparently Apple Podcasts has made it so that you can now make a embed player on a web page. So basically, you can now uh, add an embed player to a website that will embed the podcast via. Apple Podcasts. This is interesting because usually you could only embed something that was an Apple Podcast directly to the media file through your hosting provider, through you know one of the other services that were out there. But it looks like Apple has created an embed code. Now, I haven't had a chance to try this yet, but I think that this is really telling, in my opinion, because they're so, they, they were so closed with Apple Podcasts for so long. And you got things like Google coming in, making it really easy to uh, have that sort of have podcasts on the internet routed through Google Podcasts. You got Spotify doing their thing. And now Apple's changing their way a little bit because ultimately their metrics and the metrics set that they offer means nothing if they can't maintain a huge control of the podcast consumption. Because if they're only able to offer people's consumption history that is awful, uh, uh, that is through Apple Podcasts, and if all of a sudden only 15% of people listening to podcasts are listening through Apple Podcasts, that means nothing. Their, their data set is pretty much invaluable. You know, I was or, thinking sorry, about not, this. Inval not invaluable. It's, it's useless. So I was thinking about this as the um, Apple Podcast sphere of direct listens goes down and the increase in like say Google architecture Spotify or one of the other locations where people listen to podcasts grow Apple still has a direct impact on podcasting because of the API and all of the other podcast apps such as Overcast that they influence indirectly just because of the catalog that's available because the API has been open, which is a great thing that Apple's been doing. And so you have a bunch of different apps, both on the Android and on the iOS side that pull from that API and that they're able to have uh, the, the catalog, the Apple podcast catalog there. Now, 
I don't know if it's persistent and it continues that the degradation of the Apple market share goes down, say, I, and I don't know what that's going to be. Is it 40%? Is it 10%? Is it 15%? Is it 25%? I don't know. But at some point in time, Apple's going to go, why are we putting all this, all this resources into it where it's not giving us anything back and we're such a small part of the market share? And at that point, they might decide to close it down, in which case I don't know where all these apps are going to get their directory from or, or pull from, because I, the way Google does it, there is no central database. Google, it, it's all based on the, the search criteria and, and the searchability of the, the header information on the website, which podcast is hosted on. So I, I, I don't know how that's going to affect different apps. Are we going to go back to the era, which Stephen, you remember where you had to apply to about 15 different places in order for your podcast to be heard. I, I think we're at that already, to be honest. I think that there is enough pull in enough directories that you now need to consider the multiple submissions again. I, I 100% think that we're already at that. And and I say that because not everybody uses a media host or wants their media host or possibly should allow their media host to submit it on their behalf. There's a whole bunch of questions in there. And even if you are using that, you are still having your media host submit to all of these places. So I think we're entirely back to 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 where to that. And it's not just submit it to Apple anymore. I don't think it ever really was. Even uh, just a couple of years ago, it was like three different places at least that you'd want to send it to right now it would say you'd want to send it to apple Podcasts. you'd want to make it searchable you don't send it you'd want to make it searchable by google or what's it called it's not searchable but uh findable i forget what the uh, the, the technical term is when uh you're making your your podcast available for google to index it yeah i forget what you call that too but uh... indexing or, or whatever okay so there, there's google and you have to make sure you're following by the rules and it, it's not as instantaneous it might take even a week or two, you don't know, uh, but eventually it'll pop up there. Uh, so that's to Spotify. I would make sure that you're in there uh, to a lesser extent. Tune in uh, just off. The, and that's off the cuff. Uh, Stephen, is there anywhere else that you would make sure that you would submit your show to today? That's all that I can think of off the top of my head. But I think a few years ago, you could just have gotten away with Apple Podcasts and have been totally fine. Well, e true. I, I Heart Radio is another one, by the way questionable uh. well, the reason that i want to be on iHeartRadio is whenever i'm in the car with the girls and they're listening to the radio and that's the only time i listen to the radio oh, by right. the way is when the girls are in there and it seriously it is i've got my podcast so i have i have 80 gigabytes of podcast to get through i think i don't have to listen to the radio so i'm listening to the radio and i hear these uh, commercials about how you can find the show on iHeartRadio, and I, I every single time i just turn to them i'm on iHeartRadio. So, you know, I could say that because I am on our radio. That's fair. That's fair. I, I do that with my kids. They, they are obsessed with watching gamer YouTube videos. And I'm like, I'm on YouTube. They're like, watch, you're on YouTube. Yeah. That's what I do. I go on YouTube. <laughs> All right. Well, that's a fun little conversation. I am looking forward, though, to seeing what happen happens with Apple Podcasts and actually seeing how this embed thing works out because... Uh, there's a few good website creation platforms out there now that do a good job of integrating different ways to subscribe in a pretty dynamic manner. And I think this would be interesting to see if some of those start to adopt this embed code so that uh, you could go and add that in there. And, you know, if, if you want to play it through, like this is what I vision is you have a, a theme that says play through and 
you know, someone can select how they're playing or whatever, right? So, and it would just be, you set that for your site. We will see. Uh, also, there was an update with Pinecast. We've talked a little bit about Pinecast before. Um, we've had some questions over the years about Pinecast, but this show here, Better Podcasting Live Chat, is hosted on Pinecast with a little asterisk on there with our RSS feed. We uh, we have that self-hosted. But um, it is, it is though, through Pinecast as well. The Gunna Geek Show is pseudo-hosted. And I say that because... The media is on there, but because of the existing infrastructure at the time, it's mostly just a link to the URL. So there's less so use of the Pinecast, but we've we've got that on there. Well, let, let's take a second to talk about that. A lot sure. of people host host their media on a, a media host, whether it's Podbean or Pinecast or Libsyn or, or wherever, right? So they're hosting their media on these these uh, places, and some of them do it to get the stats, the download stats from it. But some of them just do it so that the reliability is there and that they don't have to pay for it and they don't bust their uh, their server for their website at all. And they host their RSS feed on their own. Now, there's certain things you have to do for that. And the RSS feed, in some cases, gets hit more. It's more data that runs through it than the the actual uh file do but so you have to watch out for that with your terms of service with your server wherever you you're hosting your your rss feed on your server or whatever uh we have a lot more information on that on better podcasting episode 65 and it's talking about how to uh, host your own media for your podcast or and host your own rss feed it's two different things uh, but I just wanted to point that out for anybody that's listening new. That's what we're talking about is you can use Podbean to host your media and your RSS feed. You can use Pinecast to do the same thing. You can use all these podcast media hosts to do that. But you can also use them just to host the files, the MP3 files, and then host your RSS feed somewhere else. And a lot of places do that. A lot of places that uh, have professional podcasts or the podcast for business and do that sort of thing for a lot of different reasons. Anyway, Stephen, go ahead. No, that's a good point, and I'm glad you brought that all up. Um, the long story short is uh, Pinecast is pretty much, as far as I know, a one-person operation. There might be a couple in the background, but the, ma the main part of it is, is a one-person op uh, operation. I believe his name is Matt, and um, he's somebody that we've talked about in, talked to in the past about Pinecast, and we followed Pinecast for a little while. And um, with Pinecast, one of the things that's been interesting for me is the reception to feedback. Now, back when we reviewed Pinecast a year or two ago, I had concerns over some of the things that were communicated versus what was actually being implemented. At the time, I felt like there was a lot of sort of it's right around the the corner sort of comments that we were seeing. And it wasn't just me. There was some other people in our Discord and that we talked through through Better Podcasting that had a similar sort of experience where it seemed like Things were always around the corner. And um, I, I know that that there was um, a bit of issue that was taken with that. However, I am happy to to say that like over the last year or so, I've seen a lot of change and a lot of evolution again with Pinecast. I, I've seen a lot of these things that seem to be right around the corner finally happen and more. And what their blog post and the reason I give you this information is because when this was rolled out here, there's this new layout to Pinecast. The blog post was very transparent, and I like that. And, and Matt admitted that 
The reason that this happened was because he had a customer who left his service because they really didn't like the uh, the layout. And that, that's what a bottom line came down with. And he said that that stung and he took the feedback and looked at it and it was relevant and he felt like it needed to be done. And he kind of gives a bit of backstory about how Pinecast sort of evolved from what was a project for a couple of friends to being more mainstream. And I think that this layout has done a bang on job of what needed to be changed. It feels a lot more modernized. And I say that a, a little bit hesitantly because I think that Pinecast version one was way more modern than at least one main, main, one uh, mainstream provider out there, if not two that I can think of, but I won't name. Um, Which probably, I think I know the two that you're talking about, and they both have improved their backend UIs, but in, in any case. Yeah, and so I think that it was a really good UI before, but now it just seems even better because... There are, there's less buttons, less places to go to get to the different sections. There's sort of one main menu bar on the left to go through the different sections of that podcast. Like there's an overview, analytics, episode list, distribution, reviews, listener feedback. Essentially, you, you go into one of your podcasts that you're hosting with them, and you've just got this easy to access menu bar on the left side. And it makes it easy for you to hop from seeing the overview of your podcast into the actual detailed metrics, or if you want, go to the full list of your episodes. Truthfully, one of the things that this UI change made me realize was that distribution thing that I mentioned a few minutes ago. I don't think that this is new. I think this is something they had before that I didn't realize, that they do have, through Pinecast, the ability for you to go in and find out how to easily or they can, for some of them, submit your pod, podcast to the directories if you want to do that. Again, we've talked about in the past, there's a bunch of question marks you should ask yourself before you have your media host submit. But I didn't even know they had that ability in there. And the fact that they've rearranged this layout highlighted to me the change. And I think that they did a good job. And the number one improvement that should always be there is here. In my opinion, it's faster. Uh, if you are making a UI improvement and you slow down your UI, fail by me. You get an instant F on that. It, you should always be trying to make your, your experience faster for your users because that is the way, in my opinion, our society is operating. We, we want things now and we continue to evolve in that where we want the information now, we don't want it slower. So I think that if you if you go slower, I don't care what features you added. It's a failure. And this year feels faster. That's an interesting input. Now, you're a techie and, and you know the back end stuff. And I, I would agree with that assessment, by the way, that you don't want to slow it down. But because systems get faster, Internet speed gets faster, servers gets faster. I think they can make it more complex if they at least maintain the same speed as before. I think that would be a win, right? Yeah. And, and, and that's cool. And you get improvements and you don't get any additional delays. That's cool. I have a Pinecast account. It has been unused. To be honest, I, I got the $5 a month plan just to get in and, and be grandfathered on that. It, ironically, I'm probably spending more money uh, just waiting for <laughs> to launch a podcast than I would have if I would have just gone in under the new pricing structure. But I had intended, it's 2020, folks. I had intended on doing another project this year, and that has fallen through because of 2020. Uh, not that I, I don't have plans for something new in the future, 
but it is not happening right now. So I have not used my Pinecast account. The one thing that I will say against Pinecast that seems to be more and more prevalent in the industry, and Stephen, I think you'd agree with me here, is that they are not IAB podcast measurement standard compliant yet. They're not certified underneath that standard yet. I don't know if they're going for that or not. I, I would hope that they would. I mean, there are a lot of other competitors out there to Pinecast in their niche that have gotten uh, approval from the IAB. So I, I would hope that eventually they would, and that would bring their statistics in line with just everybody else. And at that point, it's kind of a no-brainer to say, hey, look, if you want to pay a la carte, Pinecast is where it is. I agree 100%. And that is one of the big holdups that would probably... At this moment here, they're going to get like, I would recommend them with a bunch of caveats. And I've mentioned that before. And that is a big one there. And I have concerns about whether they will get it in the future. And and that is a big problem, a big problem for some people. So I hope they do eventually, because that would probably put them for me on the list of I OK, I'll openly recommend them at this point, making sure you know that they're still relatively new. Um because I think that there is concerns on the pricing model and things like that, but they've done a lot to offset that. And I've talked about that before, even on this show here, where they've really opened up some options to take more money and people are using them. And I think that that levels out the, the dollar figure a little bit more. And, and I, I think that there are a few players out there that with the way things have evolved might be charging a bit too much now. It was okay a few years ago, but I think it's a little too much now um, compared to where the industry is going. But I I just I think that if you don't need the IAB certifications or the IAB stats, and that's why we we really did that for this show here, because we went, OK, this is a little venture we're going to try this year, see how it goes. We don't want to put too much money into it. Steven's already got a Pinecast account that he's trying. I we want to give this a shot, speak better on it. Let's use this as a test bench. We don't, again, don't need those certified stats. And that's why we put this show here on there, but still host the Better Podcasting Main Show on Libsyn because ultimately this one here, we didn't necessarily need the certified stats. So, no. Um, no but, I, but we do think we are both big advocates of the certified stats. And that is that is a big thing that we think that people should do. And honestly, it's another reason why I do self-host the RSS feed even for this show here, because that gives me the flexibility that if I want to ever do something in the middle of that to get those IAB certified stats, like, you know, start using that RSS feed, using it via a method that would give us those stats as an intermediate, I could do that because I'm not linking the Pinecast RSS feed elsewhere. That was one of the considerations we had when we decided to self-host the RSS feed for this show. I used to have a Spreaker account for the new listeners here. I used to have a Spreaker account. It was $20 a month. You had unlimited RSS feeds that you could use from that, and you could use the audio streaming function. So you had an audio streaming feed out there. Now, with the invention of YouTube, YouTube Live, and Twitch, and all the other video streaming platforms out there that make it possible, I don't think that audio streaming is, is really going to give the bang for your buck for your podcast. So there was really no need for my Spreaker account anymore. And I did want to keep the ability to uh, have a uh, an incubator for podcasts and to keep as many RSS feeds as I want. The detriment with Spreaker in that 
department is you can only keep 500 hours. And a lot of people on the hobbyist side were saying, well, 500 hours, how are you going to get there? Well, I did get there and it was because I was doing uh, so many shows over so many years. I got there really quickly, actually. I got there, I believe, within two and a half or three years or something like that, which, okay, it took two and a half or three years to get there. But once you get there, you're like, oh man, I got to delete my original shows now to make more space for my for my other shows. And when you're doing uh, certain shows, people want to go back to episode one and listen to your show from episode one. So... All things considered, the $20 a month for Spreaker, where I wasn't really using the audio streaming function anymore, and it was uh, limited in the total amount of hours that I could store versus Pinecast, where I would spend $5 a month instead of $20 a month and get unlimited RSS feeds, I it was no brainer to go with Pinecast. And that is why I have a secondary account through Pinecast. All my other podcasts right now are hosted through Libsyn, full disclosure but I am looking for other options. I would like to try Podbean. I would like to try Pinecast. Those are two off the cuff. And uh, once I get uh, a new show, we'll just see how those go. Anyway, I think we talked a lot about Pinecast here. I didn't want to run it into the ground. (laughs) I I did want to respond. I mean, we are a live chat show, folks. So if you are listening to us, come to geeks.live while we're recording. You can ask us questions. Betsy, who I mentioned before, she asked kind of a question here, here. She said, thanks. Being here really helps. I also need a new iPhone. She's using an iPhone 7. And my MacBook is showing its age at five years now. I'm stuck in paralysis by analysis mode, thinking my equipment's not good enough. And for that, Stephen, I would say, and, and I think we've said this before, you got to start. Yeah. You just take what you got and you and you start. Get yourself a decent microphone. You know, if you can find the, the new ATR2100X, that will work great with the MacBook. There was an update. There was an update later in the chat. Uh, Betsy actually managed to come across an AT2005. Right Ew. now, I know it's hard. And I, the reason we highlight this is because right now, most of the microphones that we recommend are really hard to find. They're they're in hot high demand right now. So the AT2005, uh, yeah, Betsy managed to get one of those. Now, my recommendation, if you're just doing a solo show on that, Betsy, um, my suggestion would be to um, just hook it up to the MacBook through USB, download Audacity, Audacity and hit record and see how it goes with you because uh, that will probably be relatively low r- resources if that's all you're doing. Don't run a bunch of other things if you can avoid it. Maybe have your your notes up and that's it. And when you go and and you know record a sample, do like a 30-minute sample and then go and play it back and see if it sounds normal. Because if it sounds like it's suddenly cutting out or you're hearing pops or you're hearing crackles or you're hearing a big dropout where half your word is gone, that means that probably, yeah, your computer is not going to keep up with the audio recording on a reliable basis. But if you find that that's overall working okay, a simple USB microphone into a computer running Audacity shouldn't be too bad. It's once you start to connect with others and you try to now stream via Skype to somebody, you know, connect that way and um, do a whole bunch of other things that that might start to get bogged down. Along the uh, conversation of microphones, Bangs Naughty Bets posted in the chat that he got his biweekly email from B&H that they still don't have the Samsung Q90, which was supposed to be a new microphone in 2020 that hasn't come out yet. We've addressed this on the main Better Podcasting show and I asked about the Shure SM7, and there was a lot of chat back and forth. 
about the SM7 and people thinking the even the Samsung Q2U was better. MV7. Uh, so, yes, the well, the MV7. Did I say the SM7? You did. I'm, I'm, I'm at the MV7, uh, the new uh, USB XLR dual microphone that's $250 from Sure that just came out a couple of weeks ago. And uh, it's interesting hearing the the feedback from that. I, I would actually be interesting in, in, in trying one out, but I don't think it would fit my use case. I think we talked about that before, right? I want to try one for a few reasons. And the reason, one of the big reasons I would like to try it is because while I like the AT2005, while I recommend that in the Q2U, while I recommend the RE320 to many people and like it on your voice, I believe that those microphones, all of them, are are not a very natural sounding microphone. I believe that they all have a unique flavor to them, which I think overall sounds good enough that I'm happy enough to recommend them. But this is a big thing that I always go back to with my Shure SM7B and to a or my sorry SM58A and the SM7B to a degree when I tried that is the Shure microphones tend to be more natural sounding. Out of all the microphones I own, I do believe that my SM58 is the most natural sounding microphone. Um, I used to comment that when you first, you first were actually the one that first introduced me to the AT2005. One of the first things I said is that I, I don't like this. I don't like how it's not natural sounding because at the time I was using the SM58. Yes, Anyways, yes, right? you, you so, did, yeah, you yeah, made that comment. Yeah. I, I had comments about that. With time, I heard it on a bunch of different voices. Happy to recommend it. Plus the use case, the flexibility, the USB hands-down recommendation. It's the same thing with the RE320. I think there's a lot of people that love it, but I don't think it sounds natural. I think that it has a very unique profile to it that I can pick out from a lot of different places. And I think that it's a sound that a lot of people prefer, but I don't think it's very natural. Sure tends to, in my opinion, lend more natural. That's the same thing with the SM7B. And I think one of the reasons you didn't like it as much because it sounded more flat, which was more natural. So, um, and that was my experience comparing it to the BP40 as well. Um, that's my speculation on it. And so that's why I'd like to test this and see if this falls in line with the other two Shure microphones that I've tried, which was the SM7B and the SM58, where I found that compared to similar products, they, they felt more natural sounding to me. You know, this whole MV7 thing has brought up a lot of uh, painful memories for me, to be honest <laughs> with you. Uh, I bought the Shure SM7B as my first big boy microphone. It was the the first microphone that I upgraded to beyond the uh, Sennheiser E935, which was really my first quote-unquote big boy or professional microphone. Still love the microphone. It's 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 within arm's reach distance of me. I want to pull it out and and just hold it. My I you know what? I should probably have that as as what do you call it? A, a fiddle thing when when you're you know something to deal with your hands as you're talking. I should probably just have that <laughs> uh, on, on my desk because I love that microphone. Anyway, uh, I got the Shure SM7B. I tried it out with the DBX 286X, and the problem. Uh, I have a lot of problems with the Shure SM7B that uh, so a lot of other people don't have. But I did because the first thing is I could not provide enough gain to it and didn't understand why. Mm. And that was really the main reason that I didn't like it because I heard a lot of distortion in it because I had to drive the gain on the DBX-286X up so much. It just ended up distorting the sound on the low end. I probably had maybe too much bass on, on there or low end frequencies on there as well. Uh, but... I didn't understand why I had to drive it so much until I did that panel 
at uh, C2E2 in Chicago, and I shared a microphone with Chris, and I didn't understand. Chris projects very well, very loudly, for the lack of a better term, and I project very quietly, which a lot of people that I know personally, and Stephen, you haven't had the opportunity to sit in a room with me, they often complain that I'm too quiet. <laughs> and 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 when I don't want it, what I'm saying to be overheard with like kids in the next room or whatever, I get even more quieter and people are like, SP, I can't hear you. This is <laughs> annoying. So, so I didn't realize how softly I was projecting until I was doing that panel right next to Chris. And when Chris was talking, I could hear his voice clearly in the speakers in the room. And then when I talked, I actually leaned forward into the microphone and I was talking, I couldn't hear myself. And so I started to project louder and I actually ended up giving myself a sore throat because I was basically yelling into the microphone just to make sure I was heard in the room. And, and, uh, it was because Chris was so much louder than me. So the poor engineer at the, at the, uh, at the console, at the end of the table, he's flipping back and forth in between me and him trying to make me being heard and trying to make sure Chris wasn't blowing out everything. So that's when I knew that the real reason behind all of the other issues, and I have other issues with the Shure SM7B, but the real issue that I had with the Shure SM7B was because of the lack of projection and I had to put push so much gain into it. Uh, I don't like the fact that it doesn't reject sound as well as other microphones do, like the Rode Procaster, the uh, Electro Voice RE320. And uh, the other thing, the flatness of the voice, I'm, I actually think I'd be okay with that now, but I still, I would have to add like a Fed header or a cloud lifter into it just to make sure I would get enough gain to it. But then I would be inviting all that ambient sounds in there. Wow, that was a lot of information, but I just wanted to, to let you know that the, the MV7 has resurfaced all of that painful <laughs> memories into me of why I spent $400 on a microphone that I ended up giving away. Bottom line, Audio-Technic uh, ATR2100 AT2005 or Samson Q2U. That's our recommended go-to starting microphones, and we like all three of them. We do. We, we own all three of them. Uh, also in the chat, following up to our previous conversation, because let's keep going about this, because that's why we call it the live chat and Q&A. Uh, Betsy was asking about whether um, I'd recommended Audacity rather than GarageBand. In the chat, we've got Bangs Naughty Bits uh, giving a few reasons why he prefers not having uh, GarageBand. Number one, saying it's annoying and has effects on it by default, as well as saying... Um, it's better on it, better in several ways, but has a steeper learning curve. Um, but I only said Audacity because, like, I can speak to Audacity's resources. I don't own a Mac. I can't speak to GarageBand. So I, I don't know. I, I honestly have no idea, and I'm out of my depth on that. I bet, you know, ironically, I was just talking last night about on the GunnaGeek.com show available about available at GunnaGeek.com/slash show. <laughs> <laughs> about getting a, a Mac. I, I was thinking about getting one of the new Mac minis for my home entertainment center as a streaming computer, but at least that would be the first Mac that I would have in the house that I would be able to use. Uh, full disclosure, my daughter switched over. She's in college right now. She switched over from a uh, Microsoft-based uh, laptop to a MacBook Air last fall when her laptop broke. And all of her friends had a MacBook Air or MacBook Pro, so she really wanted to go all in in the Apple architecture, and that was fine because she already had an iPad Air and an iPhone, so I was like, fine. Just so you know, 
I'm not going to give you any tech support because I don't know, just like you were saying, you didn't have any experience with it. I don't have any experience with it either, but I would like to at least have the OS to play around with and to say, hey, look, I can use GarageBand on here, or I can look, use Logic Pro, or I can use Audacity or whatever other program that you can use on a Mac OS, because quite frankly, I, I'm out of my depth there. I have never used it for podcasting. Uh, continuing on with our chat, which is again, following to the same con uh, same line of thought here. In the chat, Bangs Naughty Brits, Bits brings up a point that um, we had kind of talked a little bit about, I think on Twitter or something like that. Uh, Mac is changing the Intel yeah. processor process or changing the processor that they use away from Intel to a new what's called an M1. And I think that will be interesting to see how well that goes because there's supposedly going to be an emulation layer involved for the Intel-based applications. If you remember, if you're old enough to remember this, otherwise take our word for this, Way back in my day, Apple did not use Intel processors on their computers. No, no, they did not. And because of that, you had big software problems. It was a big thing when all of a sudden, Apple did go over to the Intel processors. It opened up the doors for developers quite a bit in a bunch of different ways, including Windows emulation. Um, but it was really interesting to see... Well, I don't, anyways, kind of the reverse, but anyways, that's beside the point. What was really interesting, though, um, was how much that changed for software developers when that happened. And that was a big question mark that people had here when they announced that they were going to be going away from Intel was what's going to be the change here. And I'm interested to see what happens. Uh, the latest Apple update, I believe, did not go as Apple updates usually have relatively oh, the big, the big, the big, the big OS. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In the past, Windows doesn't update, everything breaks. So you bank on that. You wait, you see a Windows update comes up, you go, okay, how's my sound card going to get screwed up this time? Traditionally, Mac has been pretty reliable. Update comes out, you're relatively okay. But this last one has was plagued with software problems. So I'm a little hesitant here to see what happens with the new Macs as far as podcasting software might integrate that's already on there but time will tell you know i'm sure there's bound to be some hiccups and you, there's lots of mac users out there huge huge uh user base for creative applications including podcasting so i think we're in a much different position now than we were years ago before apple made the switch to intel because back then there was not as many people using macs for this sort of process so the support wasn't there, but now you've got a huge user base doing creative acti uh, creative activities on there. If something goes wrong, hopefully it'll be a lot quicker to get fixed. I know a lot of the um, uh, professional podcasters that I know that stream and use Apple products, they're very hesitant to move forward with both the M1 chips and the Big Sur update. Matter of fact, there has been a noted black screen of death on some MacBook Pro units. It, it's very specific. It's like two specific models. So it's not the entire MacBook Pro line. But I would check into that before you upgrade if you're thinking about upgrading to the Big Sur and 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 make sure you're not one of those two models. Uh, apparently, Apple's working on a solution. I don't know if that solution is out yet or not, but there have been some updates that have been going fine and some you get the black screen of death and there's no way to recover from it. And I would, that would be a, a big concern for me. The other thing on the, on the uh, chips, the M1 chips, there's a lot of hesitancy to move forward with that. A lot of people want 
Apple to get their feet underneath them and get a generation or two of the chip underneath them before they actually go ahead and update. And the other thing is these, uh, the, the laptops that they're talking about are 13 inch laptops, the, uh, MacBook air and the MacBook pro 13 inch. They're only 13 inch screens. And then the other one is the Mac mini, which is not tied to a screen. It's its own little pockets. It's a set top box basically now, but it is a computer in of itself. Uh, so those are the, like the laptop, the smaller laptop versions of the Mac architecture. And they started with the M1 chip with there. I think when they release the next generation of stuff next year, it'll probably be with an M2 chip. I'm just thinking that. So they're getting their feet underneath them with this M1 chip. And all the rest of the lines still use the Intel chips, at least for now. And then they will uh, go from there. Uh, Steven, we had a comment over on Twitch from Damien asking us if we have used our ZDM1 microphones at all. And yes, we both have one. But uh, Steven? I unboxed it to see that it was something discolored under the foam. But uh, there, hmm. there might be an unboxing video that shows up if I get around to it or not. Because I already, like I did the unboxing video, but... We'll see which of us get around to it first, but yeah, there there was something discolored hmm. on it. I don't know, I, uh, but I haven't used it yet, though. No. Interesting. Now I haven't unboxed mine yet either, and this is the second issue that I have personally heard of of some some stuff coming out of the box. Uh, not great with that, so it's not boning. Oh, really? All that well? What, what well, was the... not not with the microphone. Uh, well, it's. Uh, obvious uh, to those that listen or watch uh, Bandrew over on Podcastage, uh, he took the headphones out and th they were literally hanging by like three different threads. They were they were crushed. Really? So he's like, yeah. He's like, I'm not going to review these because they're broke, and I don't review headphones anyway. But he just made a point to saying that they were broke, and he wasn't going to make a comment either way because they were broke. But he said they were broke, so. Well, I, yeah, I, I'm a little worried now, I have to say, but, uh, Hey, I mean, it's, it's a microphone. We got it. We'll, we'll use it and, and, uh, it'll be up to zoom to, uh, correct their, their issues with manufacturing and, uh, and, uh, shipping, I guess, and packaging in, in the future, if they want to stay competitive in the market. Do you have something else that you want to talk about as I quickly try to pull up a screenshot of the discolored sure. for talking our, about, our video? Talking about new microphones, I, I, in the last two weeks since we recorded, I heard that there was yet another new microphone, the Yellowtech IXM microphone. It's been marketed to podcasters as kind of a wireless interview microphone with three different capsules. And I won't go farther than that because it's $800. So I'm, I'm not going to go ahead and get one to test because we're dealing with hobby podcasters that find it a stretch to do a $200 microphone. So if you're dealing with a $800 microphone, that is a, an issue there. So Stephen, you're uh, blocking yourself out with a Enfire microphone right there. Yes, that's the ZDM one for those of you who are following on the video side of things. You can see right about the center, there's a spot. And that was that was there when I took off the foam. So, oh, yeah, um, I can see that. It's something the audio listener, you don't really need to go check this out if you if you don't want. But um, it was there. It was there when I took that off. So I wasn't sure what that was. And I think there was something else, actually, now that you say that. I think there was something else during the unboxing, but I, I can't say for sure. I remembered the spot. There might have been something else, but. I did a few unboxings when I did that. I, I had like three that I needed to do all together. So I might be mixing up things, um, but I did remember that. 
Okay. As for the yellow well, tech, uh, keep in mind with the yellow tech, that will be an interesting thing to follow because they also make really awesome mic arm stands that are out of a hobbyist price point budget, the average hobbyist price point budget. Um, so they're it's good. It's professional though, grade equipment. But they're, yeah, it's professional grade equipment and apparently is phenomenal. However, um, not within a hobbyist budget. Maybe the mic's the same. I don't know. Uh, last thing that I want to mention today is just a little tease for something that I'll probably talk about in the future. I mentioned it on last week's Better Podcasting main show, the um, Sennheiser IE40 Pro in-ear monitors. There's an unboxing video on the Gunna Geek Gear YouTube channel. It's a little test that I wanted to do. Uh, I saw a sale and I had a weak moment and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to buy those because I want to compare because I use the uh, Shure SE215 in-ear monitors. They're budget basic price point and i've been really happy with them um i try not to get too extravagant with these sort of things because it is a hobby and I, I look for something that's good but is is not super expensive and that's where i came up with the shirts because the sure se215s from what i read they were far better than the stuff that was like half the price and and seemed like it was a lot more comfortable and from i've never tried the cheaper ones but i know a lot of the things that people have complained about with the cheaper ones i don't have issues with like comf comfortableness and things like that um so i thought okay well i've used those for a little while and the sale came up on the sennheiser ie 40 pros and i wanted to give them a bit of a try and i plan to do a review in the future as bottom line at this moment i prefer the se215s over the uh ie 40s i think the biggest win that the ie 40s have is they seem a little clearer overall. I think the high end is a little bit, picks up a little, or sh I don't know what you would say. You hear a little bit more because the high end sounds a little bit clearer than the Shure SE215s. The low end's muddier, but you know that, that sort of nuance in the upper end that sometimes is important when you're monitoring, I think is a little bit better on the IE40s. But the bottom line is that the Shure pieces that are available, the actual sure products like the tips and the different types of tips to fit different ear sizes and things like that, they're much more readily available for sure versus the Sennheiser. I can't find, I prefer foam tips for my in-ear monitors and I can't find Sennheiser in-ear monitor tips that are in the size that I need for my ear canals. And as such, I'm stuck looking for generic tips and i've tried a couple different ones and they vary in quality because of that like this they actually i have two different ones that i've picked up they look similar but they sound a little bit different and they have a, a couple things that i think will hurt the longevity um like they don't have the little mesh filter in there which i i will let you use your imagination on why i think that you need to have that for the tips on your in your monitors or you're probably going to wreck your inner monitors eventually. So uh, because I can't find Sennheiser tips that I think are vastly available for, for the masses and a bunch of different preference and ear canals, I think that this, this is going to affect that win on, on it. Like they sound better to me, but they might sound worse to somebody else because they can't find a uniform sound a, a fit like a, a uniform product that will create the same sound for a bunch of different um 
ear shapes and things like that. So I think you lose that win as such. And overall, the quality feels mostly the same. You know, one part of the cord feels better on the Shure SE215s. The other part feels better on the IE40s. But I just think that the the SE215s, because of the fact that you've got accessories that are made by Shure that are available. So if you prefer the rubber tips, you can easily find them made by Shure. If you prefer the foam tips, you can find them made by Shure. If you like those little plastic cones, you can find them as well, like I did when I broke my cord after two or three years of use, I was able to go and get a replacement cord for it. I just, I at this point here, the 215s, the Shure 215s are the clear winner for me. And I kind of regret a little bit buying the IE40s. Um, not to mention looks. If you're into looks as well, the SE215s are clear. Um, you can only get complete clear look on the higher end Sennheiser in-ear monitors. So a couple times I used them, it was really obvious to me that I was using them because the clear wire on the Shures kind of hide it a little bit if you're doing anything video. But I, I, just from a functionality perspective, I don't know. That's where I'm sitting right now with it. I'll probably do a full review in the future. So you'll hear a little double content. I'll probably do that on the main Better Podcasting show. But I teased that last week on the Better, po Better Podcasting main show. I posted the unboxing video, so I wanted to just address my initial thoughts right now. And I, I at this point, have no reason I would recommend the IE40s over the SE215s. I kind of have a unique situation I've learned with any in-ear stuff is my one ear, well, first of all, my ear canals are both pretty large, but one's a little bit larger than the other. So I need like the largest I can get in one ear and then a size that I can't get in my other ear. And it makes it a little sporty to keep the little earbuds in my ear. So just another reason that I'm finding not to go with the little earbuds. I do have the Apple AirPod Pros right now that I've been using, but the one in my right ear keeps on falling out. And that's the year I have trouble with anyway. So I don't know I, if I can find a extra, extra large set of cones for that or not. Uh, we'll see. I wanted to uh, just have a short update. I've been talking about this quite a bit and I realized I stopped a couple of weeks ago, the big wall of water behind me, the outside construction on that with the siding, the water vapor barrier and the windows is complete. And we had a couple of rather large storms since it was complete. And I have no leakage from that, but I still have two other repairs I need to do. I have to have the foundation uh, patched where it cracked because the water was uh, the water hydrostatic pressure was enough against the foundation to crack the foundation. So I need to have that patched. And yes, I've tried the inside thing and it didn't entirely work. So I need to go outside now. So that will have to be done. And then once that is done, I will have to do the drywall, which was damaged on the wall behind me. And that will mean I need to move out of the podcast studio here. So I don't know when that's going to be. Could be next fall sometime. Could be the year after, to be honest, because it's just a lot to get done with all these repairs. Uh, but it is coming in the future. I will not be in the studio right now. But I just want to cap that off, at least for 2020. The exterior is fixed. I'm no longer hemorrhaging water. I no longer have a waterfall in my wall behind me whenever it rains. And uh, so I'm safe and, and dry for now, but there are still additional repairs that need to be done on my house. Just want to close that off for right now. 
And uh, Stephen, I think that's it for this week. I mean, we, okay. We have one more question in the chat. One okay. more question in the chat from Betsy. Thanks again, Betsy, for coming by. Uh, saying, do I need a pop filter or windscreen? Uh, I would just say get one of those. Uh, I always mix them up. The uh, pop filter windscreen. windscreen. Yeah, I always think the right one, and I say the wrong one first. Right. Uh, always just get yourself one of those um, windscreens, which is essentially the foam piece that goes over your microphone uh that slides on there there's a variety of different ones that are out there there are better qualities but just start with one that you can find or just go ahead and uh just wear your mask when you're uh podcasting because that sounds super great right right just wear your mask <laughs> no no I, i'm not gonna wear my mask when i podcast you know ironically i, I can't believe i'm gonna tell the story here so uh, the girls were home last week and they wanted to watch Grey's Anatomy and they said, dad, come watch Grey's Anatomy with us. And I was like, no, I don't want to watch Grey's Anatomy. And they were like, we want to spend time with you. So I watched Grey's Anatomy and it was the season uh, premiere episode, which was a, it was interesting. And from a podcasting standpoint, this was interesting to me. So I'm glad I was actually forced to watch it. What they did is they took scenes from last year that they were actually filming when they had to cease production in early 2020, and they intermixed that with new scenes that they did. And it was a visual issue. The girls even pointed it out to me because uh, the scenes that were shot before, nobody was wearing a mask. Nobody was wearing uh, PPE or anything like that in the hospital. And they were just out in, in the open without anything, right? And then there were the scenes that were produced were with full PPE and people wearing masks and, and that sort of thing. So it was is visually, it was interesting how they pulled it off. But if you go back to early 2020 and how we were complaining about how all these uh, late night show hosts and whatever were doing live and we're like, we could do, we've been doing better than that for years. Why can't they get it right sort of thing? So I'm going to give them a little slack, especially because their solution was rather unique. The doctors and nurses, which were in full PPE, which included head complete head coverings, they actually had microphones in the helmets. And it was obvious that they were using that microphone to uh, record their voice, but it was better than putting a boom arm in front of them and having to go through the helmet, right? Because that wouldn't have worked. Yeah. Well, I guess you'll just have to make sure that you take over production for that show, SP. No, I'm not going anywhere near Grey's Anatomy. So for episode 21 of Better Podcasting Live Chat, I'm Stephen John Drew saying, wow, 21. Guess you could drink now, SP. I can't believe that we used to do that gag. Yeah, see everybody in two weeks. It was great seeing you this time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for checking out another episode of Better Podcasting. You can find the full back catalog of Better Podcasting at betterpodcasting.com. If you're into geeky podcasts, please check out the other podcasts on the Gunna Geek Network at gunnageeknetwork.com. This show was produced and edited by Stephen John Drew of Gunna Geek Productions. Voice work was done by L.W. Salinas. Thanks again for listening or watching, and we hope to see you again next week. <laughs>